uh, our reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 22, and also we read from 27 to 34. Uh, those who are following from the Bible Direct, the headings of the readings is correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. So here it reads, In the following directives, I have no praises for you, for your meeting do more harms than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and other gets drunk. Don't you, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you disperse the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? To you, shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are, are weak and ill, and number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with our regards to ourselves, we would not come. We would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemns with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you are gathered to eat, you should eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you, you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. This is the word of God. Let's pray for Pastor Mark. Lord, we thank you for giving us such a wonderful pastor. As we are going to listen to your words through Pastor Mark, please may you fill him with your Holy Spirit to speak your words with faithfulness, clarity, and wisdom. Anoint him with the blessing of the Lord so that God, he will also give us the word in faithfulness. God, also I pray for those who are listening. May you please fill them with your Holy Spirit to understand your word, God. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Switch microphones here. Praise the Lord. It's good to be back with you in town in Antalya after being traveling for two weeks. Uh, covered over 1,500 kilometers with a group, uh, going from Antakya to Chinakali and back to Istanbul and I can tell you, if you haven't been to some of these sites in a few years, they've totally changed, some of them. So it was a learning experience for me uh, being in uh, some sites again with road changes and museum changes and whatnot. So it was 
uh, really a wonderful trip uh, that we had with a, uh, an American group. Uh, Tuesday, we were in Kushadasa uh, uh, and uh, happened to think our friend Linford Stutzman might be in town. And if you remember, two weeks ago, we had Linford in front here and uh, we anointed him with oil. He'd been traveling with a group here. He has a, a boat he sails with based in Finike. And he had heart issues that suddenly came up. And uh, he was in town visiting a cardiologist on two occasions. And we prayed for him, and uh, he just really bounced back. But uh, he had just come from Athens, said goodbye to his group. And he said that morning he woke up, and he said, I felt like my old self. He said, your prayers have just had such an incredible effect. And he, once again, he thanked uh, us uh, for praying for him. Uh, and first time yesterday flying out of the new Istanbul airport, that's an experience for you. You know, we'll, we'll all get that at one time or another. So prepare to get your walking shoes on. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, wonderful time. And then at the end of this trip, uh, I learned uh, through an email from our home church in Virginia Beach about this mass shooting that took place there on Friday. So we have heavy hearts for that community. That has been kind of our home and base for 35 years. And so as we looked at the list of victims, and we knew none of them, but certainly uh, many uh, in the community have been uh, touched and, and hurt through this tragedy there. So we've uh, introduced a prayer request. So pray for that community today uh, as many are mourning uh, over the loss of friends and loved ones there. As we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, uh, we've been going from difficulty to difficulty that this church was dealing with, and today they have issues with the Lord's Supper, as Alex read for us. And in chapter 10, Paul actually introduced the whole topic of the Lord's Supper when he was dealing with the discussion of eating food sacrificed to idols and idol feasts. And Jason presented that for us several weeks ago as well. And he described Israel's descent into idolatry during their wilderness wanderings. And he exhorted them in verse 14 to flee from idolatry. And in the verses that follow, 16 and 17, he wrote, is not the cup of blessing for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. And Paul's point here is twofold. He says that participating in the cup of blessing and the, and the bread is the spiritual opposite of eating and drinking at idol feasts that were dedicated to false gods. So some of the Corinthians were still participating in these feasts at the temples. And Paul says, you can't do it. You got to choose. It's one or the other. And the second thing he says that this participation, and the Greek word here is koinonia. Many of you have heard teaching on this word that's so pregnant with meaning related to fellowship. This koinonia symbolizes the unity within the covenant community, not only with Christ, but also with each other. We are one loaf. We are one body. Up to this point, when Paul has been speaking about the human body, 12 times he talks about it as a physical entity, as he talks about you can't join a prostitute 
in sexual immorality to this body. But now he changes and he uses soma, the Greek word here, in a figurative way as he talks about us as the body of Christ. And of course, later we're going to see the development that in chapter 12, when Paul uses this glorious image of the human body to talk about diversity in the body of Christ. And Paul concludes in chapter 10, 21, warning the Corinthians who are trying to have it both ways. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in the Lord's table and the table of demons. And so with this warning, we move over to a fresh issue dealing with the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. Now, today when I'm talking uh, about this subject, I'm going to shift interchangeably between various uh, terms that we use, the table of the Lord, the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper. And these terms all reflect the various traditions that we come from in this congregation, where, whereas the terminology may be different It all means the same thing, this wonderful thing where we celebrate what the Lord Jesus did on the cross for us. Now, he begins uh, here at the chapter by discussing in verses 3 through 16 the tradition of head coverings for men and women and proper behavior related to them. I spoke on this topic uh, several summers ago. And we're going to touch on it briefly when we get to chapter 14, talking about order and worship in July. So if you're in town, you'll get to hear about head coverings a bit again. But this morning, we have no time to deal with this most interesting topic. And instead, our focus is going to be on the Lord's Supper. And in this, we have another Houston, we have a problem moment in the congregation, for he states in verse 17, I have no praise for you, for your meetings to do more harm than good. I mean, that's quite remarkable. Going to church can be more of a problem than staying away here, as Paul is saying, at least for his Corinthian congregation. So what is their problem? Divisions again, schisms, and we first ran into this in chapter one, didn't we? So what was the problem there? They were divided around personalities. Some were of Paul, some were of Apollo, some were of Cephas, Peter. Some said, we are of Christ. And so this division around personalities was causing conflicts. But here we have a new cause of division in the Corinthian congregation. And this division is over social class. The wealthier in the congregation were flaunting their status over the have-nots. And Paul talks about the particular manifestation about this in the congregation. So the local house church meeting, it seems, was meeting in the home of a wealthier member in the congregation. So as you travel around, many of you have been to the terrace houses in Ephesus or see these magnificent villas and peristyle-type houses that the wealthy lived in. Well, you could gather in the atrium area there, about 40 or 50 people, and there would be a dining room in some of these. And so the wealthier were gathering before the service and eating together and having a wonderful time and fellowship and meal. And so when the actual service started, the poor members would be arriving. They could smell oh, the, the, the sense of all the, the food in the air. You could see the slaves 
They're cleaning up the plates and the service and dishes being done. And they were coming hungry. And Paul says, no, no, it's not going to happen. And he begins to chide them now over using their difference in social status to bring division in the congregation. So in the meetings that follow, you could hear some of the wealthier congregation probably burping after their well-fed meal, and you could hear stomachs growling from those who hadn't eaten at all. Ever been in that situation where it smells so good and you haven't eaten, your stomach just starts to growl and, and make those rumbling sounds? So I'm just imagining what was going on here. And Paul says, you know, this is a real problem uh, that is causing separation here in the body. And it was deeply troubling to him because he had a vision of a whole new social order that the kingdom of God was supposed to be. What was it? Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor. There was to be an egalitarian dimension of kingdom life where the differences in this world were to be overshadowed by the blood of Jesus and what he did in bringing unity to all people. So what's Paul's solution to this? Is it government that's going to bring this in? Absolutely not. It was simple. He told them that is the rich in the congregation that were conducting these pre-service feasts that they needed to cease and desist from this practice. And if they were hungry before coming to the service, they should simply eat at home if they were hungry. Because as they continued this, this would continue to emphasize the divisions among the social classes in the congregation between rich and poor. And Paul did not want that Ephesus to exist. Now, I presume all of you have had breakfast in some form here this morning. I don't hear any stomachs growling or rumbling. So this really isn't our situation here at St. Paul Union Church as we look at a parable. Uh, as a parallel, excuse me. Nevertheless, the body of Christ continues to divide over many other issues today. I was talking to somebody in my group yesterday who goes to a large church in Seattle, and she said, well, we divide over worship. I go to the traditional service. Younger people go to the contemporary one, and we have basically two congregations that never mix. So I don't know anybody in that other congregation. And look, typically these divide along age lines somewhat. So we've got an age division that occurs in churches too around these sort of things. Just one example. Of course, we have so many denominations that we divide around over often minor differences in practice. Our guide was talking to me and she said, you know, sometime I'd like to sit with you and could you explain all the differences between the denominations in Protestantism? <laughs> Whoa. I said, that, you know, that, that's going to be a little bit of a long conversation. We had one group with us were, which were from an instrumental Church of Christ background. 
So those of you who don't know that in the Church of Christ, you have some that don't believe in instruments because the Bible in the New Testament never talks about instruments. So they sing a cappella in worship without instruments. Then another group has interpreted that it's all right to use instruments. I mean, this is only in one denomination where there's separation, okay? And we go on from that. So yeah, I told Meltem, I said, well, we'll have that conversation some other time, okay? <laughs> How we divide. And as we look at these things, we can laugh about them. But for some people, these are fighting words, aren't they? <laughs> don't, don't mess with what we believe, okay, about this, this issue. And another crucial issue is race. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said, quote, it's Appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Michael Emerson, a Rice University sociologist, defined a multiracial congregation as one where no one racial group is more than 80% of the attendees. And using that standard, Emerson found that only 8%, 8% of all Christian congregations in the United States are racially mixed to a significant degree. And I think this conclusion could be worn out in many Western countries today. And regarding this finding, uh, Professor James Cloggy observes, quote, this seems especially surprising since Jesus made an effort to cross cultural boundaries in his ministry. And Paul made Christianity the first voluntary multi-ethnic organization by insisting that Gentiles, as well as Jews, should be part of the growing Christian churches. This is our legacy. Where have we gone wrong? Well, as social beings, we as humans tend to cluster with our own tribes, our own race, our own educational and economic counterparts, don't we? We gravitate, though. It's just part of our human nature that is a bit fallen, maybe, in this regard, but it's all we do. This is the way of the world. However, Paul is challenging us here as a new kingdom people, diverse with people of every nation, people, tribe, and language. We must make a conscious effort to expand our circle beyond our natural comfort zone. I'm always thrilled when visitors who come to SPUC here say, wow, This is like a microcosm of what heaven's going to look like. Well, we as an interim pastoral team take very seriously the making our services inclusive by having as many people as possible participating in the services and in our congregational life. That really is our commitment to you. We want diversity in our gatherings. So they aren't just some Western version of what church should look like. So if you'd like to contribute with a song, a prayer, a testimony that represents your own church or cultural background, please contact us. We want our services to reflect you, not just some particular version of what Christianity is. Nevertheless, one of our challenges in planning events is that, especially ones that require money, Because like the Corinthians, there is a range of financial means in our congregation, and we're well aware of that. Some of you are university students. I was a university student one time. You don't have much money, okay? 
Some of you are living off the Turkish economy, and with the challenges with the lira, you watch it declining in value, and it's very difficult. I mean, this Byram, we're going to see, and just uh, around going from hotel to hotel, Turks cannot afford to travel outside of Turkey now because of the drop in the dollar and uh, or the lira against the euro, and, and and they have to stay home. So it's challenging. And for those of us who receive foreign currency, we're at an advantage now as we live in this country. And so, again, as a pastoral staff, we're well aware that some can attend while others cannot because of inadequate finances. And so despite the limitations of our budget, we try to plan activities that are affordable so that all of you can attend. And a case in point was our breakfast between our Easter services. And our agape feats are, are simply another opportunity to gather as one body, and we will be doing that in two weeks. And our Rose continually is encouraging us not to just eat with those that we know. So she's tried very innovative things to have us mix uh, as we're uh, eating during the agape feats so we can get to know one another much better. And one final comment on this. The issue with the Corinthians was the haves eating before Christian assembly. Now, here at SPUC, many of us fellowship after the service, don't we? By eating a noon meal together out at a restaurant. However, it is difficult for some in our midst to join us because they don't have the finances to do that. And I know many of you are sensitive to that and don't want to separate our body as in this fellowship time because some can afford to pay and some cannot. And you are generously inviting others when you can to join in meals after the service. And I really commend you for this. And just remind us, though, we need to be even more intentional as to include as many as possible in our after-service luncheons. Now, Paul next continues in verses 23 through 26 with instructions for the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to jump over this now. We're going to look at this as we come to communion in just a few minutes and move on to the second issue that he's speaking about related to the Lord's Supper in verses 27 through 32. And in these verses section, he resumes his corrections to the Corinthians by noting that some in Corinth are eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. So it's not simply a question over divisions over socioeconomic class. And the word translated here unworthily or in an unworthy manner is used only here in the New Testament. So it's a very rare word. Because of participating in communion unworthily, and we've seen this whole range of sins that the Corinthians have been involved in, two types of divisions we've mentioned, committing sexual sins, eating at the feasts of idols, they have been sinning against the Lord's body and his blood. Now, Paul here assumes the role of a spiritual doctor, and he begins to diagnose their spiritual problem. And he offers a prescription. So he said, before you take the Lord's Supper, examine yourselves before eating and drinking, because he says, without such an examination, 
believers may bring divine judgment upon themselves. For some Christians today, the idea that God and not the devil might be responsible for negative things happening to them is really a novel one and quite foreign to their theology. To them, God can only do good things, provide blessings and prosperity. Satan is the one who brings sickness and poverty. God, on the other hand, brings health and wealth. God is love, so he's gracious with his gifts. But the New Testament is more nuanced than that. And Paul shows us here that there is something that's going on in terms of judgment. We saw where Israel was punished. Well, that was Old Testament, okay? Because they deserved it. They worshiped other gods and broke God's covenant there. I hope I'm not treading on somebody's theology here a little bit this morning, but this is what Paul's saying, okay? Jesus, or Paul says that Jesus, through grace, is not going to overlook the misdeeds that the Corinthians and believers today may fall into. So Paul now says to the Corinthians that this idea of God only bringing prosperity and health is not how things work in the kingdom of God. He's been telling them we cannot use our freedom to sin and then come back and ask for easy forgiveness. Think of the New Testament examples of judgment. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit and were struck down. In Revelation 2, in the church in Theatira, Jezebel is told, unless you repent, I'm going to kill you. Wow. Jesus told the church at Pergamum, and in fact, in a number of the churches, there is a warning to repent. And if you don't, something negative is going to happen to the Pergamines. He said, unless you repent, he would soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Paul now declares that some Corinthians are under God's judgment for failing to judge themselves and repent of their sinful behavior. I was reading a commentary on 1 Corinthians by Sierra and Roster, and they observed, to eat and drink in an unworthy manner is to eat and drink in a way that demeans, humiliates, or disrespects other members of Christ's community. Let me read that again. To drink in an unworthy manner is to eat and drink in a way that demeans, humiliates, or disrespects other members of Christ's community. So what's the result of demeaning and disrespecting Christ's body in Corinth? Well, some have gotten weak. Paul says some have even died. Why? Because they've eaten and drunk of the Lord's Supper in another worthy manner. When we pray individually and corporately, we're often quick to bind the devil and his evil work as we pray for healing. But again, when we pray, we should ask for the discerning of spirits to understand what is actually happening spiritually in each situation. Sometimes prayer for healing may not be the first thing that's needed. 
rather repentance from sin. James says the same thing in chapter 5, verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Well, we like to take that out, okay? Okay, let's take that out of context. The Lord will raise them up. Hallelujah. What does it say next? If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that may be part of the healing process. And Paul is saying the same thing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Many years ago when Dindy and I were new Christians, we noticed in our congregation that one of the faithful believers there never participated in the Lord's table. And we were quite puzzled by this. And one time I went up to her and I said, I can't remember her name. And I said, you know, sister, you know, know, we we notice that every time there's communion, we never see you go up. Well, you know, what's going on? And she said, I'm so afraid of eating and drinking under judgment that I've simply decided I'm no longer going to take communion. Well, this is not the point of Paul's teaching here, of course, okay? To be so afraid of discipline and judgment here at the table that you no longer take it again. This is a magnificent celebration in which Jesus is present with us here at the table. Paul's point is that instead, we're to prepare ourselves spiritually so that there's no unrepentant sin or behavior against his body, either that of Jesus himself or of our brothers and sisters that may be outstanding. If there is, Paul says, we must confess it, then ask for forgiveness. Or in the words of Revelation, to wash our garments in the blood of the Lamb. When we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says in Philippians 2.12, We will never eat or drink of the Lord's table unworthily. And we will not be condemned with the world when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ at his return. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6.10. So conclusion. Paul provides his own conclusion here in verses 33 and 34. Three things he says to the Corinthians. When you gather to eat the Lord's supper together, Do it as one body comprised of rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Make no discrimination among members and eat together as one. Number two, he says, if you are hungry, eat before the gathering. So come to church and don't use these meals as a place to satisfy your hunger. And the third thing he says is, By observing my instructions about discerning the Lord's body, you will not bring judgment and condemnation upon yourselves. My call to you this morning is that as a congregation here at St. Paul Union Church, we heed Paul's teaching to honor Christ's body, not only here on the first Sunday of each month at communion, but every day as we live a life worthy of imitation by others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. You're the one who established this table. Lord, for 2,000 years, 
the church has been celebrating this holy and sacred event. Lord, we want to do it in a manner that's worthy. We thank you for this congregation that's so diverse. We thank you from brothers and sisters from every nation, tribe, and tongue representing the continents of this world. Father, we just thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.